Welcome to the show, Brain Health, Unchaining Your Pain. And I am really, really honoured and looking forward to a conversation with the wonderful Mike McCarthy and Steve Phillip. Welcome to the show, Mike and Steve. Thank you. Hi, Ruth. Good to be here. <laughs> so for those that don't know Mike and Steve, so Steve is uh, involved in suicide prevention and workplace well-being. He's an advocate in that space. He's a LinkedIn influencer, keynote speaker, consultant and founder of the Jordan, Jordan Legacy and Button of Hope. Uh, Mike McCarthy is a, a world-renowned journalist. He used to work for the BBC and Sky, as, um, among other organisations. He's a speaker, a campaigner for suicide prevention, awareness and change. And he's also part of the Baton of Hope organising committee and trustee of Men's Mental Health Charity Talk Club. Welcome. <laughs> so I know both of you have very poignant stories to share and this could be trigger conversation for some people. So I just want to uh, uh, raise that for anyone that is listening uh, to this show to, to be aware that this could trigger some people. And um, before we start, I'd love to uh, know what you are both passionate about in life right now. Mike. Uh, I think the obvious answer is Baton of Hope, the initiative that uh, Steve and I have launched with uh, some other people uh, on a great organising committee. And, um, you know, without sort of going on for too long about this uh, at this early stage, I'll just say it's it's like, you know, if you think Olympic torch, it's a similar kind of project in some ways with a specially designed baton aimed at providing hope and initiating change in the field of suicide prevention. And it's what gets me up in the morning. Uh, I'm excited about it and, uh, you know, working with Steve is great and I think it's going to be uh, a fantastic initiative in loads of interest and I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, me too. I'm really looking forward to you guys sharing what it's all about. So, Steve, what are you passionate about in life? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to give maybe a more, a more general answer here, uh, but very much in line with what Mike says. I think it is, you know, my passion, you know, uh, following my my own background story and, and the loss of my son is is the difference that we can make to you know saving lives uh really you know that that is what definitely gets me up out of bed each morning what am i doing that's going to make that that kind of difference as as um, some kind of legacy for my uh, son's memory really and you know mm -hmm. which i know is you know really what gets mike uh, up as, as well and and just the fact that um you know, we've been able to team up to people who didn't know each other before, um, but have been brought together through pretty dreadful circumstances. Um, it, it just gives you this kind of renewed passion in, in life uh, to know you're not the only person out there kind of going through this. So, um, yeah, that's what it's about for me. It's, it's about can, can we, you know, make some kind of difference? You know, and I think it's, it's it, it, I want to pick up on that point is that often you think you're alone. It, obviously, you are alone in the grief of the experience. But the fact that so many people uh, have been touched by suicide um, always astounds me. Uh, many of my clients have had family members who have uh, who have had death by suicide, uh, including obviously from my family as well. My my mum 
uh, lost her father to suicide when she was only six and it had a huge impact on her relationship with her mother um, and, and subsequently the, the relationship that I, I have with my mother. So it, it, it touches people in, in, in so many ways that um, perhaps we don't really take cognizance of in the context of the number of people um, that are affected by suicide, not least the people that are, unfortunately choose that as their option to to end the the pain and suffering that they're they're going through. I I think it's it's re really interesting point that you know um, I can't can't speak for Mike and I, I know certainly from my own experience that uh, if you'd have asked me prior to Jordan's suicide um how many people i knew that had been affected by suicide i don't know if i could have told you anyone um specifically mm. and yet you know some of the research that that has been done some of the research we've done ourselves very recently you know is, is showing that a really very high percentage of people have been touched in some way by by suicide um you know uh, you know two-thirds of people that you will come across will be able to share some story of someone they know uh, you know who uh, has know someone who's died by by suicide so you've got to ask the question then why is it up until working in this space we didn't know about this and i think that's one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing is to say we've really got to start opening up the conversation and not hiding this topic away and i think it you know i think it is really so important that the topic of conversation is opened up because there's so many people that can offer, you know, have been in the boat that that you you uh, and Mike are now in, uh, and people that um, you know have the potential to to end up in the same boat 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 as well. Is to make sure that we we create that community, which I know is one of your your pillars as part of your mission to to have that o open dialogue that is so crucial for people to not sweep it under the carpet as m maybe it is is felt it's done today but bring it out into the open and say it's okay to not be okay it is totally okay there's there, there is no shame in in feeling uh in a really dark place um, it's important that we as a community work together to help people and lift them out of that darkness and, and, and give them hope. And, and I, I think we'll touch upon this um, as part of the conversation, but often p people think happiness is the most important thing, but actually it's hope that people really need um, and that's what really propels them forward. And there's been some scientific studies around this. We spend a lot of our time focusing on how can we make people more happy? And actually, we need to spend more of our time focusing on how can we give people more hope? And especially around the crisis that we've had with COVID and the current situation globally at the moment with you know the the wars that people are uh, involved in and the threat of war um is really and also the environment as well is all all creating this feeling of hopelessness for some people and it's giving people hope that i think is so important but we, before we dive into that i'd love to know for both of you personally in the context of your life's journey and given this is show is all about brain health 
what Mike does optimal brain health mean for you personally? And I know you've been on the show before to talk about it on episode 18. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I can't remember what I said on the last show, but uh, <laughs> I think, you know, acceptance is is one of the big things for me, contentment and acceptance, as you say, you know, happiness is what we're pretty much all striving for all of the time. But I think that, you know, happiness can only come or contentment can only come when you accept the situation that, that you're in. You know, after we lost Ross last year, I really thought that that was kind of the end of happiness and, and hope for me. I really did. I thought I'd just be falling through a dark void for the rest of my days. And uh, it's interesting what you were talking about there, Ruth, about, you know, the sense of community. I think one of the things that that took me out of that uh, way of thinking was knowing that there were other people out there, like Steve, for example, who knew what I was going through. And it, it, it was a sort of a light bulb moment because I really did appreciate then you're not alone. You and your family are not alone with this. And um, we often say to each other, you know, people like ourselves who've been bereaved by suicide, we've met so many inspiring people uh, almost kind of as a result. And, uh, you know, I always say, I wish I'd never met you, but I'm glad that I did. So I think if I were to pick out one word, it would be acceptance that this is my life. This is how it's going to be. Um, and I have to accept it. I really don't have a choice. Um, but that process of accepting it has given me a sense of contentment. I'll always be mourning. I'll always be in grief, uh, you know, but um, I've accepted that, that life goes on and this is the way that Ross would have wanted life to, to go on. Mm. And thank you for sharing that, Mike, because I know it's really difficult because it's, you know, it's very raw for you still and in the context of losing your son. But I think, I think your point acceptance is really important uh, as part of one of the fundamentals of brain health because often people don't accept how they're feeling uh, and and it comes to this brushing it under the carpet they don't they 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 struggle to accept the feelings that they have that how that's driving uh, their behaviors how that's driving their thoughts um, and how it's driving their view of life going forward, which is what what, what you mentioned, you know, how, how you can move forward in life and, and find that hope in life every day. And, and taking that time to accept your current situation, I think, is such a fundamentally important part of anybody's um, mental health and, and, and brain health. Because once we accept where we are, in life what in whatever place that may be then we are empowered to to do something about it but if we don't take the time to accept our current situation it's really hard to do something about it because we haven't had that acceptance piece for ourselves personally um and, and and given ourselves that power to to know our current state of mind to know our current position uh, uh, and then and then giving giving ourselves that permission to take action if that's what we choose to do um steve what would you say uh, optimal brain health is for you personally in the context of your life story 
Well, I was just thinking I'm going to go back and listen to show 18 and see if Mike said the same thing as he's <laughs> just said, uh, said now. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> No, I say optimal brain health. Gosh, well, I have been trying to think, think of, you know, what, what's my answer for, for this? And um, contentment is a word that seems to just keep keep coming back uh, for, for me. Um, you know, uh, Mike rightly said, you, you kind of wonder after what happens, you know, has happened to us, whether you'll find any kind of contentment in, in life. And for me, it's not about happiness. Um, um, you know, what we're trying to do is create hope, I think, for others. Um, and by doing so, uh, I think we create some hope for ourselves in, in the process. But for me, it's just about uh, can we find some level of contentment in, in life is optimal brain health, I, I would say. Um, and yet, because of what we're doing, um, it's not always easy to find that contentment. You know, there are so many frustrations trying to break down the barriers, trying to open up the conversation, trying to get people to do things that we know should be should be happening. So contentment would be the optimal goal. I'm not sure I'll ever find contentment. Um, but um, but if we can help people find some hope, um, maybe that'll give me some contentment along the way as well. Uh, and what what if if you found it, how would how would that look like for you what i'm i'm curious to explore it i think satisfaction maybe ruth i think you know satisfaction that i did everything that i could do um you know that that to make a difference um um you know and and knowing that we have made some kind of difference there uh, whether it's at a macro level where we have had a significant impact through baton of hope um, to bring the numbers down significantly and there's a, a tangible measure to that or whether it's just the continual anecdotal conversations that we have and messages that I know both Mike and I get from people you know who say look you you have helped um, so I think it's that satisfaction of knowing that I did everything I could possibly do really. Mm -hmm. uh, and thank you for sharing that and I think it's important to know that you don't have to be a mental health first aider you don't have to be a qualified uh, a nurse or a practitioner in the mental health space to help people purely being there for someone and, and lending an ear like you know in the same way that Winnie the Pooh were, were and his friends were there for Eeyore when he felt down um, is, is really important and and I think sometimes people forget that actually having that connection um, uh, and that community to share the feelings that you're having um, it can be enough to lift people out of the the darkness that they've they've plummeted into uh, and give them that that hope in that day and I, and I know you know I've had the privilege of being able to help somebody not take their life that day and they've told me that they didn't purely by me um, having that inter intervention with them and that and that is a, a beautiful thing so I think it's it, it's wonderful that that you you, you both are, are giving people that baton of hope and and the whole point of the baton I sure is to be able to pass pass it on so once you've been gifted with hope uh and that hope has has lifted your spirits that you can then transfer that hope onto 
to someone else. I, I'd love to learn more about, I'm, I'm super inspired by your baton of hope, by the way, because I think it's such a beautiful thing uh, to create as an initiative. But I'd love for you to uh, tell tell the audience more about what what, what it's all about and, and what uh, I know from from your connection that it was the loss of both of your sons, but what really inspired you to start the baton of hope uh, and what the vision of it is i think you you kind of set it out there ruth you know that that word hope uh you know suicide is very complex and there are many different reasons for why people decide to take their own lives but i think one common um, thread in almost all of them is the loss of hope and I think, you know, you've mentioned COVID and the war in Ukraine and all of those kind of things. And it's been a difficult time for the world. Um, and it just, I, I, from my point of view, you know, it just felt right. The time is right. You know, mm. we need hope in our lives. And that's not just a, a throwaway bumper sticker. You know, hope can save lives, as, as you've said. And the baton of hope is about, again, another thing that you referred to there. It's about responsibility because we can't and shouldn't leave it to the mental health professionals. We all have responsibility. We all have a role to play, even if it's just a hand on the shoulder of your, your best friend or brother or whatever, um, or an extra text to say, you know, are you really okay? It makes a difference. It can save lives. Simple things like that can save lives. So the baton represents responsibility in some ways, and we're passing mm -hmm. it around. And, and hopefully we'll find a final resting place in the Palace of Westminster as a reminder to politicians, legislators, policymakers as they go about their everyday work that now you take responsibility for the, for, for the nation's mental health you know and let's concentrate on it in the same way that we focus on physical health so it's a reminder it represents the voices of those we've lost and hopefully those voices can give a sense of hope to people who find themselves in the same dark place and i think it's about universality as well that we're all involved in this you know we are all involved in one of the biggest killers of, uh, of people in the United Kingdom, the biggest killer of, of mm. people under, under 35. We've all got a role to play. Mm. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. How about for you, Steve? Yeah, I think, uh, uh, you know, the, the other thing here is that I think, you know, when Mike and I and, and uh, you know, a group of others, you know, first had this conversation, I think one of the things we recognised was that, you know, there are a lot of amazing people, organisations, groups out there working in this uh, suicide prevention space um, and you know we've seen you know the likes of the three dads walking and we got to meet Tim and Andy recently and uh, two of the dads and you know there's been some incredible initiatives the Roman Kemp documentaries Joe Wicks um, mm -hmm. um, and each of these in their own right have a massive impact and, a, and an influence and over time you hope they might have a cumulative effect the one thing we recognize was that that some of those kind of come and go. Some last for a little bit longer. And the three dads are doing another walk in September, which is brilliant. We're hoping to, to Mike and I, to go and join them uh, at some point on the route. Um, but we kind of looked at this and said, what what can we done? What can be done? And I might use the term universality here to to get everybody 
involved, not not just in the two weeks that the Baton will tour the UK next summer, but there will be a legacy to what we do afterwards mm-hmm. that we're currently working on with a series of charters around uh, the health sector, for education, for government, for workplace cultures, for the general public. And these will form part of an ongoing legacy beyond that tour itself. And I think for us, that was one of the most important things. How can we have this really kind of universal impact that wasn't just, and I know Mike's used this term before, it wasn't just a shooting star event where everyone got really excited and then all went back to their normal lives again. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that it's a baton, I hope that baton continues, uh, you know, being carried for as long as possible. And it's carried by as many politicians as possible um, to show their commitment to to the cause, because um, I think it's something that needs to be continually um, part, passed on to keep that almost to keep the hope, hope alive, really, uh, and to keep inspiring yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we have a political charter as well and are currently members of the organising committee that we have that have connections, uh, um, quite extensive connections within politics are currently engaging with politicians cross party, um, yeah. having these conversations about their involvement and, and support. Um, you know, we know we've got the Department of Health and Social Care on side with us. Uh, Mike and I, of course, met a few weeks ago with the then Secretary of State uh, for Health, Sajid Javid. Uh, little did we know what was going to happen uh, a few days later. But, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, so we we are having those conversations with with government and, and to say, cross-party conversations as well. Um, and uh, it's really important that we pass the baton to them mm-hmm. uh, to see mm-hmm. this through also. Mm. And I know. Can I, um, can I yeah. just add that sort of one of one of the things? Sorry, uh, Ruth. One of the things That's that right. we're keen to do is to challenge the status quo, because you know these suicide figures have stagnated for more than twenty years. There's some great work going on out there, but whatever it is we're doing, we're not having a significant impact on those uh, suicide rates. And until we collectively, as a nation, can achieve that, uh, we can't you know, in any sense, congratulate ourselves. Um, no. In many areas, the, the support for people who are suicidal is woeful. And we have to accept that. We have to be honest about it. We have to have a conversation about it and not carry on sweeping this under the carpet. Part of what we're aiming to do is to normalise conversations uh, around suicide. It has been swept under the carpet for far too long. There's far too much shame and stigma attached to the whole uh, subject. And again, we, we've got to change that. Uh, it's something that we can afford to overlook no longer, uh, we believe, at, at the baton of hope. Mm. I think that's so important as well. You know, we've, I've had several guests on my show who, who have um, fortunately survived uh, suicide but may you know made suicide attempts and planned suicide to the nth degree to make sure it would work and actually uh one of the guests daniel mangana who 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 has asperger's who who was meticulous in his planning um actually through the planning of it realized he could um leverage his knowledge from the planning to 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 be a force for good unfortunately he he's still with us today but I think it's I think it is so important that we not only look at the 
the finality of the situation but you know for your experience and your son Ross is 10 years uh with depression for me is we we did not serve him the system did not serve him uh, uh properly uh, to to help him out of that situation uh to the point that he he felt it necessary to to you know to to take his own life to escape the pain that he was in we we have to do more um particularly for i think for the younger generation where cams is overflowing you know parents are desperate to get support for their children and and that support is not available and i you know i recently went to a conference in london with the wonderful dr chatterjee talking about the state of the mental uh, national health service and uh, you know and, and many of the doctors there you know publicly declared that it's it's a broken system it's very good in some circumstances but in the circumstance of of mental health it's very broken we uh, you know we have guests on the show who who 75% of a report done by the british medical journal 75% of of um professionals in healthcare are struggling with their mental health so we we need to do something different and I think this is the point, sorry, Ruth, um, for interrupting there, but I no, think, you know, if, if the system is not helping create hope, then, you know, we've got a real, real issue. In fact, I'll go further than that to say the system is removing hope quite Absolutely. often from people. Right, yeah. uh, and, and this is why there has to be a change, as Mike said, to the status quo. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, you can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. Ross is one of hundreds of thousands of people in the same situation, you know, who go to the health service uh, in, in crisis. And there are so many good, hardworking, underpaid people working in the mental health uh, professions who are doing their absolute best to try and save people. But I think that the system itself is letting them down. I think it is glacial in the sense that, you know, for example, with, with Ross after 10 years of, of depression, um, asked for therapy and was sent away and put on a six-month waiting list. And others that I've spoken to, and I've lost count now of the number of families that I've spoken to yeah. about this, who say that their sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers have been put on a similar waiting list for, for much longer than, than six months. You know, if you turned up at the hospital doors with terminal cancer, nobody would say to you, go home and we'll see you again in six months' time. And I really think we've got to have a serious conversation about the neglect that surrounds mental health and the treatment of mental yeah. health in, in this country and ask ourselves why there isn't parity of spending, attention, care, discussion, debate around mental health as there is around physical health. Uh, you know, yeah. switch on your television tonight. You'll, you'll get programmes about you know, how many calories you should be consuming, what food you should be eating, what your body should look like, all mainstream programmes. Where are the programmes about mental health and uh, suicide prevention and all of those kind of anxiety and depression? Occasionally you get the odd gem, but, you know, mm. there's a massive, massive gap between between the two. Mm. I, t I totally agree. And I think one of the other problems with it is that 
instant accessibility you know issue that that there are ways and means to create accessibility for people in an, in a way that is instant and it needs it needs a much broader look at how we integrate um people who work in the mental health space in the private sector um and integrate it into a solution for people at a local and a, a national level and also even at a, 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 at a global level you know for my myself obviously the work that I do are working mental health from a brain health coaching perspective and many of my clients uh, come to me because the system is not serving them um, and uh, <clears throat> and obviously I serve them in the in the best way that I'm able to and if I can't then I reach out to professionals who who can um, but but we we have a system that relies as uh, you know the first point of call is the doctor uh, and the doctors are more uh, they've it's much harder to access the doctors in the UK now um, than it than it used to be um, but based on the systems that they've created certainly from my personal experience um, and they're overwhelmed anyway um, and I think to to add to that, Ruth, and, and you know, I recently did an interview with uh, uh, Lady Doctor Sangeeta Mahajan. She's a, a consultant anaesthetist at Guy's mm -hmm. Hospital, and uh, she was telling me, uh, you know, the the complete lack of parity uh, between uh, physical and mental health. Now, uh, Sangeeta lost her uh, son Sagar to suicide. He was just twenty years old. Uh, completely let down by a system that she thought she knew really well um and uh, you know the issue she said is that if you look across the mental health system from gps to frontline mental health servicing staff there is no suicide prevention training for any of them you think mm. how in this day and age can a gp or somebody who is, is working on the mental health services team not have had suicide prevention training it's just beggars belief to be honest mm. 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 I'd love to dive into your your seven pillars um, around around the mission, which I'm going to uh, read out just to, to make it easy for everyone. And I know we we've touched on some of these. Is 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 your focus on boosting national conversation to eliminate stigma, uh, connecting and collaborating with people already working to save lives, summarising key suicide prevention steps. And I think that is such an important one pointing people to simple, effective online training to help have suicide prevention conversations, better signposting, shining a spotlight on actions that don't support or actively harm people's mental health and showcase good practice. And I've, I've been witness to how that's really affected my mum <laughs> um, in, in a neg negative training that's really made her want to, to, to take her own life because it's been so negative positive early changing UK government and public institutions uh, to aim higher on suicide prevention. Um, I think those are so fundamental. Um, I, I just find it really uh, shocking, <laughs> I suppose is probably the word, that we, we don't have a handle on all of those as a nation um, to deliver the effective um, support for for you, what what do you think is going to be the biggest needle mover? Um, and I know there's obviously many needles that are moving at this time, but what, what for you is the biggest needle mover, Steve, to help change the conversation and give people hope? Uh, well, changing, okay, around changing the conversation, then then 
then you know if we look at one of the things you talked about there which was kind of uh providing access to online training for example we know right now that there are many organizations from the Ollie Foundation to the Zero Suicide Alliance to assist training. Um, it's all out there. There's a lot of training that's available for free as well online. And I think if, if we could do one simple, you know, one simple thing to move a needle, if every family went on a 20 minute, even a 20 minute basic fundamental, how to have a conversation with a loved one or a family member or a friend, who they thought might be struggling. How do I spot the signs? Uh, and how do I open up that conversation? And if mm. I'm then concerned as a result of that conversation, what do I do and where do I signpost them? If we all knew how to do that, we're talking about fundamental first aid here, aren't we? Mm. Right now, I have still to this day never been on a first aid training course. If someone falls over and bashes their head in front of me, has a heart attack, I'm still not sure I know would know what to do. Okay. So that's embarrassing on, on my part i should have made the effort at some point i haven't done um i'm sure there are courses i could go on today to learn how to do that and i haven't made the effort the same applies for men mental health um, and i think because you know we're seeing um you know that, that that kind of two in five people are experiencing a mental health problem in a country today you're more likely to come across someone with a mental health problem than you are somebody falling over in front of you in the street in the way i've mm -hmm. described so I think if we could just get everybody to recognize that and everybody to learn some really simple fundamental skills and apply those skills, we'd already be moving the needle mm -hmm. further down the line. And, and, and the charter for the general public and the whole baton of hope is about saying, you can do this. You said this earlier. You know, somebody used the term, uh, I think it was Debbie Roberts uh, uh, from Ollie Foundation said, you know, you don't need an ology to do this. You just need That's to learn right. some very simple, basic skills yeah. and be willing to apply those skills yeah. um, and we can all make a difference. So mm -hmm. I think whether it's improving the mental health system, whether it's getting governments involved, all those factors are really important, which is why we have those seven pillars or layers, whatever we describe mm -hmm. them. But to echo what Mike said earlier, if we all just take a collective responsibility rather than passing the buck to someone else, then we can move the needle. Mm -hmm. And, and, I, and I'd love to sort of chip in there in terms of helping people learn some basic skills and we'll give some basic skills to people now. What, what, one of the uh, best ways to help people have an open conversation that removes the shame, because I know we talked about this, is the shame on the person and the person feels that it, they can't talk about it, is to ask the question, is everything okay? And the reason why this question is really powerful to the normal question are you okay is the you points the finger uh, whereas it when you ask the question is everything okay it allows the person to think about the things that are bothering them that are causing to the ha them to have trouble in their life in whatever way that may manifest so the the, the view goes outward to 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 the environment uh, and outward, uh, outwardly, rather than inwardly, and, and pointing, um, uh, you know, almost pointing a finger at the person, which makes the conversation uh, an easier one to to open up in terms of dialogue. Another thing that I think is really important um, for people is to to have uh, to have a a, a check in 
with themselves and their family as best they can um, to, to find out how everyone is feeling um, and, and to be openly talk about how they're feeling. And I know you both have kindly done that on, on this call is, is talk openly about the feelings that are driving you at this time, not about how you want to feel, um, but how you're act, actually feeling in the present moment and take the time to go deep inside and connect with your emotions is super important. So, so the first question is, how, are, how am I feeling? And write those emotions down. And the reason why it's so important to write those emotions down is because you get them out of your head <laughs> and onto paper or tell them out loud to somebody. So you get them out, out of your head and onto paper and then you can get curious with them. So what we often find, just from a brain health perspective, is our emotional brain, which is the oldest part of our brain, is the one that runs us, is the one that makes us do things automatically. It's the one that's in the driving seat most of the time. It's the one that's on when we're asleep. And when we take the time to write things down, and when we take the time to think, pause for 10 seconds, because it takes 10 seconds to activate our prefrontal cortex to get the thinking part of our brain working. We give ourselves permission to pause. We give ourselves permission to connect with our emotions, but also to look at them subjectively and then get curious with them, not furious. So it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel hopeless. It's okay to have any emotion because an emotion is just a signal that either wants to move us towards something that is generally good or away something which is normally away from pain. So, so an emotion is a signal and, and every emotion is valid. So that's why it's so important to, for us to check in with, with how we're feeling and, and ask people to other people to take the time to check in with how they're feeling, which is the first pillar of brain health feelings. Uh, and, and, and to give yourselves permission to get to get curious with those feelings. And once you get curious, not furious with them, you then give yourself that power to do something positive with them. So so sometimes like we can get really angry. Okay? And I know that some of the deep emotions behind yourself, Mike and, and Steve is anger associated with the system being broken and the support not being there but you guys are using it in a really positive way. So you're leveraging the power of what we might see as a negative emotion, but you're using it as a force, force for good. So, so I hope that helps for those that are listening is, is really take the time um, to check in with your emotions, ask people, is everything okay? That then opens the conversation for them to look at what's bothering them. Is everything okay? You know, from a you look at the whole life situation obviously there's lots of questions you can ask beneath that um and then, then they can take the time to get curious with their emotions and once you get curious you can start to unravel how you can use those emotions in a positive way and and look at the thought patterns the thinking patterns and the and the drivers behind those emotions and then you can start to unpick and unravel them uh and take back control of your of your mental health and your brain health. So I hope that, that helps in the context of that. Um, so I, I'd love to dive into the five pillars now, because I know we've just talked about it briefly, 
um, and the five pillars is looking at the facts. So we say, let's look at the facts behind our situation as to how we're feeling, our actions, our connections to ourselves and to others, our thoughts and our surroundings. So, uh, Mike, I'm just going to dive into a couple of questions here. So if we talk about connection to yourself, uh, what's the most important value that guides you in life? Wow. Uh, that's that's a, a really difficult one. Um, I'm a big believer in, well, if I can mention a few things, uh, mm -hmm. honesty, uh, humility, uh, I think is um, a kind of almost outdated um, value um, and gratitude. Uh, you know, somebody told me very early on in, in the sort of grieving process that, you know, if you can learn to appreciate uh, even the most basic little things that you, you take for granted, that, that that will help you. And I, I've, I've recognised the value of that. At first, I was a bit sceptical because I just didn't think that anything so basic was, was going to change. But... Um, yeah, gratitude, I think, is a huge thing. And the just humility, sort of, you know, accepting and, and listening to other people. You know, we all talk a lot about talking, and that's obviously very, very important. Mm. Um, but the, the listening thing sometimes is harder, but it's absolutely vital. <clears throat> You know, I run a, a few groups for, for men called Talk Club. And uh, I always say to people, it's called Talk Club, but it's actually Talking and, and Listening Club. Um, so I don't know if, if they sort of fit in with the question that you're asking, Ruth. But yeah, that, no, that's... No, totally it does. It does. Good. And, and I, I love the fact that you mentioned gratitude because when I first lost my father, my mum was in a really dark place. And actually, gratitude was the thing that we focused on every day. At the end of every day, the question I would ask my mum is, what, what are you grateful for? Uh, and we'd look for the positives at the end of each day. And it could be quite hard. You know, sometimes, you know, the positive is I'm grateful that I, I woke up and heard the birds singing in the morning. Um, I'm grateful that I was able to get out of bed. And, and, and it's focusing on the positive things that, are helping us lift our spirits in whatever way is right for that person can I make think, a huge difference. Yeah, and even, yeah. you know, if I can, can say in, in relation to my own grief, to try to be grateful for the time that we had with Ross, grateful for the, the love we shared, um, you know, and um, just sort of, I don't know, I'm just sort of, thankful for every day that we had with him mm. um, and I think to kind of try at least it's it, it's not easy sometimes because you're so overwhelmed with with the grief of it but to try sometimes to sort of you know look at your loss through that prism as again it, it certainly helped me and I'm, and I'm grateful for the advice that I was given to try and find gratitude you know in in Mm. sometimes smaller things as you say 
Absolutely. And it can make a huge difference. You know, it's often the small steps that can actually make the biggest difference for people because it helps you give you momentum going forward. And those little steps, you know, no one climbs a mountain in a uh, in one big leap. You you have to take the little steps and it's the little steps. They all they all add up. And it's it's such a fundamental piece of of mental health, actually, it is gratitude journaling has been shown to be so effective scientifically um, gratitude journaling to lift people's level of happiness um, and obviously it raises raises their level of hope as well so thank you for sharing that uh, and for Steve you in terms of connection to others who's been your role model in your life uh, actually it's interesting when you asked me that that question before we came on air Ruth uh, I was trying to think who you know who's who's been the one the one person and I think that's an impossible question to answer because um during this this journey since losing Jordan you know 32 months mm -hmm. ago there have been so many um you know I could name I could name so many of them um as well uh, and and in most cases they are people who have been in the same position as as Mike and mm -hmm. I um and uh most cases you know have lost loved ones to suicide who have just gone out there and done some incredible things you know people like alice hendy that we can mention that set up ripple from debbie rogers and sean's place in in liverpool you know i, I knew i shouldn't have started naming people because there are going to no, be people i'm going to forget people that's my concern is, no. is that i'll forget people that i'd absolutely want to to mention um and uh, oh, i won't embarrass mike by saying mike as well here but um you know there the, there are um you know when you see those people um and and look you know I, I think the thing that you know mustn't be lost for anyone listening to this today and mike referred to this mike lost ross last year mm -hmm. okay it's now 32 months for me now that is still a blink of an eye in many respects but people like Alice, similarly, just over a year ago, um, uh, there's uh, Liz Lizzie to George out there. You know, there's just so many people that I can think of mm. who've lost people very recently. And, you know, I don't know who had a conversation with them in the beginning or whether it was just something they decided to do. And I just remember a really good friend of mine just saying, you've, you've got a choice now. He said, you know, you can either sit on the sofa with a bottle and that was definitely an option, the way I was feeling, everything we were going mm. through. Uh, or you can get out there and make something of this. He said, I kind of know you. And they said, I think I know what you're going to do. So he maybe knew me better than I knew myself at the time. But I think we mustn't forget that, that you know, there are so many people out of huge trauma. And I, I once learned this, you know, many, many years, years ago, where somebody said, I can't remember who it was that even out of the worst set of circumstances, the worst event, something good always comes afterwards. And you could probably look at that from a perspective of war, famine, economic downturns. There will always be something that comes out of it. And I think this comes right back to the gratitude piece, um, to, to recognizing that we should continually look for what is the good that can yeah. come out of this. Because the moment, you don't look for the good is the moment you lose the hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, thank you for raising that. I, it just brought me back to when I lost a, a, a child um, through pregnancies and miscarriage. 
and everything felt really hopeless. And actually reflecting back on that experience um, where, when all your hopes and dreams feel shattered at the time um, from the loss um, it is finding some meaning and, and, and finding, so, finding something that you can hold on to, that you can learn from and that you can take action on from that experience to, to move yourself forward in life is so important. I, I think a great question you can ask yourself whenever you're in any of those positions. And it was Anthony Robbins. I remember the motivational speaker from the States, you know, this question. Mm -hmm. I was listening to him, one of his tapes back in the 90s. And he just said, you know, what's good about this? And he said, I know what you're thinking. Nothing. Nothing is good about this. He said, I know that. But if there was something good about it, what would it be? And just just being determined to ask that question and, and look for the answer, you know, it might just give you that first step, you know, to moving moving forward again. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. That's really powerful. How, I'd love to explore your journey on the Baton of Hope because I know it's happening uh, next summer, 2023, um, and where you're heading. So could you just give a, a brief overview as to where it's starting, how people can get involved? how we can get the community working together across the country to really pass this baton of hope around as many, for it to touch as many people as possible, really, both physically, uh, mentally, emotionally and spiritually. I think um, if I can say so, uh, Ruth, uh, and this is no disrespect to any of the fantastic charities out there, I think one of the differences with Baton of Hope is that you know, we don't say, here we are, this is what we provide, C come to us. We mm -hmm. say, what is it? What do you, the people, think uh, we need to shine a spotlight on? We'll come to you. We, you know, t you tell us where you want us to go, what you want us to highlight as, as best practice. So we can't tell you the exact route at the moment. And okay. I'm not sure when we will be able to, because it's, it, you know, it's a very organic thing. Um, yeah. We'll have to decide sooner or later exactly uh, what, what the route will be. Uh, but the whole idea of it is that, you know, it's people feeding into us. And okay. anybody who's got any idea who wants to be involved they can register their interest on our website www.battenofhopeuk.org uh, they can tell us how they would like to fit in whether they could do some local fundraising whether they're aware of a great little charity that you know goes mostly um, overlooked uh, whether they'd like to sort of set up the, their own project and, and that kind of thing um, so yeah, uh, you know, we'll as I said, we'll have to finalise the route and we'll get around uh, as many parts of as, as the UK as we possibly can within those two weeks. But remember, it's not just about those two weeks. It's about every day. From the moment we every thought day. of Baton of Hope, it was every day counts. Every day will count up to the tour. Every day of the tour will count. Every day following the tour will, will count. Um, at the moment, we're focused on making this one uh, initiative uh, 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 as huge a success as, as we can but I think Steve will agree that in the back of our minds we are hoping it's going to be an, an annual thing um, so yeah we, we need support and uh, and we're getting it and thank you to all of those who's, who've given us their support so far. 
Sorry. Do we get a, do we get a year off for a rest though, Mike? Or not? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Steve. I, I just yeah, Mike. I mean, Mike summed it up perfectly. This this is uh, unlike you know some again some wonderful organisations out there. This is not about us setting up a charity saying we do we do this. You know, follow our lead and that. It, it, we want to be the catalyst to get the whole population involved. And I've used this analogy, it's not official, it's not in our brochure, but I've used this a few times. Uh, we've just had the Queen's Jubilee. Uh, now, unfortunately I was away on holiday and missed that completely, but I'm, I'm pretty certain this is how it worked, that, that the Queen stayed down in uh, Buckingham Palace, um, had her own party that, well, we do know because Paddington was there. So we saw that happening. Um, uh, uh, what I don't think she did was travel up to North Yorkshire and Harrogate, where I live. She didn't drive into our cul-de-sac, set up the trestle tables and the bunting, and then nip back to Buckingham Palace. Fairly certain that didn't happen, but as I say, I wasn't here. Um, what happened was we knew this jubilee was happening. We all wanted to be a part of it, and we all put our bunting out, and we all got our tea parties out, and we all got together. Yeah, that's what that's what this is. We'll provide the guidance. We'll provide the guidelines. We'll provide the momentum. But the momentum will then build from there. And as long as, you know, what you're doing opens up the conversation about suicide, helps raise awareness and can demonstrate as well, as Mike said, whether it's a small charity, a big charity, whatever it would be, practical solutions that are making a difference um, and we can raise awareness about those, then that's what this is about. And I might use the term organic. In lots of ways, it will be. Organic. We're not going to know what's going on in, in, in Shetland or Guernsey where people are already reaching out to us. We, you know, we're hoping they're going to share their stories with us and we can share them on social media and we can share them on our websites. But we can't be there. We've got two weeks to get one baton around all four nations of the, the, the UK. So we're going to say to everyone, you do your thing in your school, in your business, in your community. Tell us what you're doing and, and make this as big as the Jubilee. Wow, I love that. And I think, you know, in the same way that the Jubilee did is for people to really get on your website and register what you are proposed to do in your part of the country, what initiatives you're going to put in place as part of the Baton of Hope, um, who you're going to get connected with, who you're going to get involved, how you're going to build that community awareness um, and that community support that is so essential that goes beyond the, in, beyond the borders of the NHS, beyond the borders of the of of the of the um uh health service um local practices and make it really such a a, a collaborative experience so that everybody can share learn and and grow and and raise awareness uh that this is like you said uh, mike and steve it's the it's the number one killer of people who are, are 35 uh, and you know, 35 and, and, and younger. And it's such an, it is flatline. This, you know, we're not, we're not all of the interventions at the moment are not uh, significantly improving uh, the number of people who, who feel the need to use it as a means to escape the pain that they're experiencing. And, and I think it's such an important initiative. So I am excited to get involved and I'm, I've already registered on the website. I'm, Happy to offer trauma recovery group coaching, which can be done content free for people who haven't been able to unchain their pain through the normal vocal routes that's traditionally offered. So that will be available um, as part of your 
initiative um, and we can do that anywhere any place anywhere because it's also online so that will be part of my contribution uh, to support you and your initiative so thank you uh mike and steve it's been just such a wonderful conversation and such an important one and i'm really looking forward to the baton of hope and and getting involved and and uh, and learning more about all of the people that you've managed to get involved throughout the country and all the celebrities that you are you are lining up are you able to share any names of people that, that, are uh, it, that? it's it's in progress in in pro apart from mike and i you mean oh so uh, no, <laughs> you, you, you and mike but obviously you've got well, a team yeah. Supporting you we, we, I won't share it, but we have an affectionate nickname for Mike and I in, in our in our team following our appearance on BBC, but um, probably inappropriate to share with the public um, at this stage. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's part of the plans we're working on at the moment. But yeah, we have a number of names in the frame. And uh, uh, yeah, once uh, we get into September and our social media platforms go live and we can start uh, engaging and sharing those uh, yeah, so from September, you'll have your social media platforms up. So that's really great. Yeah, so that's, that's public now, Mike. We've just made that announcement. So um, yeah. there we so go. We've got, we've got to stick to it. We're, we're talking to a number of sort of very well-known and influential people, uh, Ruth, and, you know, fingers crossed. We've had indications that, um, you know, whoever we've approached virtually so far has, has just loved the idea and wanted to be part of it. So we're very hopeful that... Um, you know, we'll get people from all walks of life uh, to yeah. take part. And uh, who knows, you know, maybe maybe one day, uh, you know, if we sort of look back, we can hope that this was a, a trigger, a, 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 a sea change, a game changer in, in, in suicide mm -hmm. prevention. And uh, yeah, who knows, maybe we can go beyond the shores of the UK uh, one day. I, do you maybe know what I think that's... Maybe that I'm getting yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i think that i think that's a, a a very real possibility is that you know the, the baton gets carried beyond the borders of the united kingdom uh, and around the world and i you know there is no there are no barriers to 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 stopping this initiative i think it's a fantastic one and it's such one that is so needed not just at a, a national level but at an international level so um really well done both of you for uh, putting you. this together and just a reminder that people, if just to register, get involved, get your community involved, do register at the button of hopeuk.org and you can find out more on their social media. Uh, LinkedIn, you're very active on both of you, aren't you? So you can find both of them there too and learn more about what they're doing. And share, I encourage people to share their stories of hope um, as part of this so that they can um, give hope to others too. Mike and Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, it's been a real pleasure and thank you for your time because I know you are super, super busy um, in all that you do. Thank you, Ruth. Thank no, you. it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks thank for your you. interest. Thank you.